Good morning. Let me say a prayer for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are a God who is so incredibly good to us. I pray for myself. I pray for every heart that is with us this morning, Father, that you would incline us towards you, that our hearts would be open, that we would see how good, how wonderful, how loving, how kind that you are. I pray, Father, that we would see Jesus Christ in brand new ways today. In his name I pray. Amen. So my daughters and I were looking at lists. I don't know if you ever get like down this rabbit hole, but like surprising facts you didn't know or like 25 things your mind can't comprehend. And so we totally got absorbed in this, like all the different lists, things like you can't hold your nose and hum, which of course you immediately want to try to do. Go ahead, can't do it. Or like it's almost impossible for most people to lick their elbow. Crocodiles can't stick their tongues out apparently, who knew? A shrimp's heart is in its head, feels bizarre. Um, pigs can't look up into the sky, don't know what that's about. Kangaroos can't walk backwards. This one is disgusting and I made everybody promise they wouldn't look up the image because it grosses me out. There is a fungus growing in Oregon that is 2,200 acres long and still growing. There is this, you can, it's a science experiment, I guess. My kids have done this at school. If you take a can of Diet Pop, it'll float in water. And if you take a can of regular pop, it'll sink. Who knew? There is a name, you know the lowercase i and the lowercase j? There's a name for the dot <laughs> over it. It's called a tittle. So all of these, like, random things, if you, this is a mathematical, you can't actually prove it in, like, reality, so it's a theory. But if you opened up a hole right down to the center of the earth, it would take you 19 minutes to fall to the center of the earth. This might be my favorite one. There was a dog that was voted mayor, a real life dog in a real life city in Minnesota, four times. <laughs> Won an election for mayor, four times. All right, like the, the, we get sucked in because it's so fun. Every time I see one of these lists, I'm like, I wanna know all of the things I didn't know and they're funny and they're silly. But it's easy to get to a certain point in our life, especially as we grow up and we age, that things don't seem that surprising anymore, right? Like, who turns on the news at this point and is surprised, like, okay, it's terrible, it's atrocious, it's awful, but it's not surprising. Gets to a point where, like, we've seen things before, we've heard things before, it doesn't seem all that new. And we do the same thing in our faith. When it comes to life with God, we feel like I've either heard things here and there and it's not interesting or it's not meaningful or been a part of church or I've heard about God my whole life and like, all right, I've heard that. There's nothing new. There's nothing surprising. And we get to places in our life, especially in our faith and our relationship to God, where it feels like mundane and bland and nothing new and nothing surprising. Dane Ortland wrote this book called Surprised by Jesus, The Subversive Grace in the Four Gospels. And this is what he says. He says, Jesus is surprising. His coming fulfilled ancient prophecies, but not expectation. He shattered expectations. He turned upside down our intuitive anticipations of who he is and how following him works. Each of the four gospel accounts in the Bible uniquely gives us a Jesus who turns upside down our intuitive anticipation and how following him works. So this is so interesting to me, this idea, and I want us to think about Jesus in this way, who, if we will let him, will never stop surprising him, surprising us. When we spend time with Jesus Christ, it is not a boring faith. It's not a mundane life. It always is marked by adventure and hope. 
And so for the next month, going into Easter, we're going to look at the Gospels, and we're going to learn something new about Jesus and who he is and what he says and what he's done. We're going to challenge our assumptions about what we thought and turn upside down what maybe we just assumed faith was going to be. And when we spend time with Christ this way, when we really look close at who he is and what he did and what he said, we will never stop not just being surprised, but by being amazed at who he is. So today we're going to start with the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew comes first in the Gospel, seems like a good place to start. Matthew was a tax collector when Jesus showed up and called him to follow him. Matthew left one life behind to follow Christ, and it changed absolutely everything. His life went in this new direction, and he learned a whole new way of life. And so when he wrote his gospel, his document about the life of Christ, he talked about what he saw, what he heard, what he witnessed firsthand doing life with Jesus Christ. And in the, uh, Matthew chapter 8, he tells us about a time Jesus traveled to Capernaum, and while he was there, a centurion found him and asked him for help. So if you want a little history from ancient times, a centurion was an officer in the Roman army. And a commentary, commentator explains centurions this way. They were the backbone of the Roman army. In the Roman legion, there were 6,000 men. And then the legion was divided into 60 centuries, each containing 100 men. And in common of each century, there was a centurion. They were the long-service, regular soldiers of the army. They were responsible for the discipline of the regiment, and they were the cement that held these pieces together. They were the finest men in the Roman army. So a Roman centurion was an officer who held a position of power and authority. And this centurion came to Jesus, and this is what happened, starting at verse 6. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those with him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. All right. This is a surprising story when we unpack it and we look at what happens here. So this Roman officer comes to Jesus looking for help, and here's a few things that I want us to see. The first question we have to ask is, how did this centurion even hear about Jesus? He didn't grow up in the Roman uh, Jewish tradition. He didn't grow up going to the temple and hearing the prophecies of the Messiah that would come. He grew up in a culture with lots of different gods and lots of different beliefs. He was a man who was raised when you needed help, you went to your household, God. You visited the temples of your cities, God. You had rituals you would do. But when this centurion really needed help, he sought out Jesus. And up until this point in Matthew, he's shown us that large crowds have been following Jesus. They've listened to him teach. They were amazed at what he said, amazed at what they saw him do. And word started to spread through different communities about Jesus Christ. They told other people, oh my gosh, I saw this guy. He did this thing. You wouldn't believe it. 
I heard this guy teaching, and it was like nobody I'd ever heard before. And word started to travel until it made its way even to the ranks of the Roman army. And something of the goodness and the amazingness of Jesus Christ made it back to him. He heard what Jesus could do, and it stirred something in him. It compelled something in him to go search him out. If Jesus did all of these other amazing things, if he said these things and helped these people, then maybe he could make a difference here. And because people were talking about Jesus, this Roman officer heard about him and found his way to Jesus. When he was in a moment where he really needed help and everything else wasn't working, he knew there was one man he could seek out that could do what nobody else could do. And he went looking for Jesus because somebody passed the word to him. And then here's the second thing I want us to see. This wasn't about position. See, Jesus' world at the time, it's really important to understand the context. It was under Roman occupation. They held the power. They held the control. They took the taxes. Their word was law. And even though this Roman officer who has this high position of power and authority, when he shows up in front of Jesus, he didn't use his position to demand Jesus help him. He, He didn't use his power to subdue Jesus or threaten him. If you don't help, this is what's gonna happen to you. Instead, he showed up and he asked. And when Jesus offers to come with him to his house to see the servant and help them, the centurion says, I don't even deserve to have you under my roof. If you just say the word, I know that you're powerful enough. Just your word alone can make all the difference. And Matthew tells us Jesus was amazed by this man's faith. This man who didn't grow up in the religious Jewish tradition, who didn't know the rules and didn't know the law, had faith in what Jesus could do. Yet in contrast, when you read the Gospels, all of these people who grew up knowing the law, they were more religious than you and I will ever be. They knew the traditions, they knew the prophecies, they knew the right, the wrong. They didn't just know the laws, they knew the nuance of the laws, and in this position, in this situation. But Jesus says they didn't have the same kind of faith as this man the very people who should have been expectantly looking for Jesus and celebrated when he showed up, didn't believe that he was who he said he was. The most religious people who knew the Old Testament, they knew the rules, they knew the law, they grew up on the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and they could trace their family lines to the 12 tribes of Jacob. They didn't believe in the same way that this Roman centurion believed. And when you look from the outside in, you would think it would be the most religious people who got it. And yet Jesus points out it's the belief of an outsider that was most amazing. But there's also a challenge in this tension. This Roman centurion had a humility when he came to Jesus. He didn't demand. He didn't use his position, his power, authority, entitlement to get what he needed. He had a humble faith that believed in Jesus Christ. And I wonder for us, when we come to God, do we have that same kind of humble faith? Or do we have the demanding spirit, God, I deserve this. God, you owe me. God, you need to do this. Or do we have the humility that says, even if you would just say the word, I know everything could change. And then here's another thing I want us to see. His care, this Roman centurion's care for a servant. A slave had very low positions in the Roman world. They were property, they had no legal personhood, 
And yet, it's the suffering of his servant that drives this Roman officer to seek out Jesus' help. It's his hurting that leads him to leave and go look and search for a way to help him alleviate that pain. Even though this servant is beneath him in every single way, position-wide in their hierarchy, the Roman officers move to help. He goes out of his way to find a solution for him so he can get better, and he finds it in Jesus Christ. He believes that Jesus could help, believes that Jesus could make a difference, and he does. Jesus says, go, let it be done as you believed it would. And his servant got better. The, uh, Jesus did exactly what the centurion asked him to do. He helped, and his suffering servant was healed. Now, if you were writing a story, we always have to think about this, because these are first eyewitness accounts of what it was like when Jesus was there. And if you were sitting down with a piece of paper and you were writing something about what you wanted people to believe, like you would say I, the most religious people are going to be the ones who get it right. The ones who knew the rules and had all the laws and the prophets would have the most faith, the most belief, the most care for the sick and injured. Yet here we have Matthew showing us the faith of an outsider believing that Jesus could do the most incredible thing by just the word of his mouth. We see Jesus amazed by his faith. We see this servant, which we never even know or hear his name, sick, hurting, suffering, made well. But even more than that, what's so surprising about Jesus in all of this? We can turn everything around and look at who Jesus is. With Jesus, it was never about position. Think about it. Jesus is God himself with all power, all authority, King of kings, Lord of lords. When he came into the world to become God with us, he didn't come as a conquering army. He didn't come as a Roman centurion with all the pomp and all the circumstance or an emperor with power and position. He was born a baby in the humblest of circumstances, in the humblest of places. And then he humbled himself even more by coming into the world and taking the position of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross. He came into our world exchanging the glories, the riches and splendors of heaven for the mess and brokenness of our human condition. He became poor that we might become rich. He came into the world and lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And Dane Ortland says, this is, Jesus died. This is the greatest surprise of all. On the cross, the one person who ever truly qualified allowed himself to be disqualified so that you and I, naturally disqualified, can qualify free of charge. The gospel is the happy invitation neither to trade in all of our bad for being good, nor to trade in all of our good for being better. The gospel invites us to trade in all of our good and our bad for being free. Jesus died, and therefore all the bad we can do can never lose God's love. Yet all the good we can do can never gain God's love. Jesus Christ is the only person to walk this earth who truly deserved to be first. But he made himself last so that those who do nothing more than acknowledge they are last can be first. This is radically surprising about Jesus Christ. It's not about the good and it's not about the bad. It's always about Jesus. I'm so messed up that Jesus had to give his life for me. Yet, 
I'm so loved and valued that Christ was willing to give his life for me. And the freedom in this is we can never mess up so bad that we lose the love of God. But it's also the freedom of we don't have to perform. We're not on the hook for getting everything right and doing it just the right way. I never do it so right that I earn God's love because it's not based on me. It's always been based on Jesus Christ. And what's so surprising about this, every other religion, every other religion in the whole world says, let me show you how to get to God. Let me show you the path. Let me show you the choices. Let me show you the things that you need to do. Enough of these right things, enough of these good things. But only in Christianity do we see God making his way to us. Do we see God with us in the person of Jesus Christ? We are saved not based on what we have done, not based on our record, but on the record, the goodness, the grace of Jesus Christ. The Son of God became the Son of Man. He took what is ours in the kind of way that he transferred to us what is his through grace. He came into the world. He became fully human for us. The one with the greatest authority, the greatest position, all the power in heaven and earth showed up in our world and identified with the oppressed, the hurting. He reversed places with the marginalized, the poor, and the downtrodden. And he did it so that we would know the heart of God. Christ took on himself that which belongs to us and exchanged it for grace and love. He came into this earth to live as a man, to suffer and die. The very one who is first became last on our sake. And as the prophet Isaiah reminded us long ago, he took on our pain, bore our suffering, pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that was brought, that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds were healed. What's so surprising about Jesus? Every suffering we've ever faced, every pain we've ever encountered, Christ already went through on our behalf. Every hard, dark road we've ever had to walk, we do not walk it alone because Christ has gone before us. He faced the greatest pain that needed to be faced on our behalf. And even when we walk through the shadow of death, we do not walk it alone because Jesus Christ is with us. We know peace because he knew punishment. We know healing because he was wounded. Here's what's surprising about Jesus Christ. No matter our position, he cares for us. No matter who we are or where we've been, no matter how high we rank or how low we fall, we're known, we're loved, we're cared for, we're valued, and we're seen. Christ cares for us so much he brought heaven to us because we couldn't get there on our own he took our heart he stepped into our story became god with us we mess up we come up short we don't get it right again and again and again but no matter how messy how broken the world might get we do not disrupt the goodness of god's plan because christ came into the world and he gave his life for you and I that we might be saved, that we might know the love of our Heavenly Father. Christ came in and exchanged the worst with the best of himself, shows us the grace and the love and the compassion. Where we hurt the most, 
Christ wants to care for us. Where we feel we've suffered the most, Christ wants to bring healing. Where life has left us worn and broken down and damaged, Christ wants to make us whole. What's so surprising about the gospel is that we have a God who wants to save us. He's not frustrated or annoyed or a hassle that we are just one more mess he has to clean up. He is inclined towards us. The centurion didn't expect his servant to get better on his own. He went out looking for help, and he found it in Jesus Christ. Our loving Father does not expect us to get better and figure it out all on our own. He sent Christ to us, that in Christ we might find the healing, the health, the wholeness that our hearts long for the most. He doesn't treat us as a lowly servant. He doesn't treat us as so far beneath him that he would never even look our way. He treats us as a friend, a cherished son, and a cherished daughter. Dane Ortland said, and this might be one of my favorite lines, Jesus doesn't crowbar us into change. He surprises us into change. And 2,000 years ago, a centurion was able to meet the surprising Jesus because somebody else was talking about the goodness of Jesus Christ that they met. Because he heard other people talking about what they'd seen, what they'd experienced, he was able to find Christ, meet him, and have an incredible faith that changed things. The more we talk about Jesus, the more other people get to know him too. The more we are surprised by Jesus and talk about what we see and what we experience and what we witness, the more we come, having, come to have faith in him and see the amazing things that he does, the more other people hear about the goodness of our awesome God. When's the last time we said something to somebody else about the goodness of Jesus Christ? When's the last time we were so surprised by something about Jesus, we just couldn't help but talk about it? What we've seen him do in our family, in our life, where our faith has been changed or something's been made right, where something is just so undeniably Jesus that we have to say how amazing, how surprising he could be. What if what's surprising about Jesus to us might be the very place that we get to talk about God this week and somebody else gets to hear something about God they've never heard before? What if we had the opportunity to invite somebody to church, that a friend, a family member, somebody who's never heard about how wonderful Jesus is, themselves might be surprised by him too. See, the centurion's faith was amazing because he who had no background was amazed by Jesus Christ. Our faith is powerful, not because of how strong or robust or bold it is. Our faith is remarkable because of who the one we put our faith in. We all have the same faith in a mighty, awesome Jesus Christ. And when we let him, he will show up again and again and again and surprise us with who he is and what he might do next. Dear Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray that we would hear these words, that we would see what you can do in the life of a man like the centurion. I pray for myself, I pray for everyone here, Father, that we would be reminded about who you are and what you've done through Jesus Christ. I pray that your goodness, your wonderfulness, your amazingness would resonate in our hearts and our minds this week. I pray, Father, that you would give us the opportunity, just as we go about our lives, to say something good about you to somebody else. 
I pray where the opportunity presents it, Father, we could invite somebody to church that they might know you and see how wonderfully surprising you could be. I pray, Father, that in this goodness, in this faith, you would raise us up to be the men and women, the church that you've created us to be. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.